Hi. Hi, Debbie. I'm glad you're here. And I'm going to introduce myself. Hi. So I'm Nadia Natale, and I have just written a book, a memoir called Stairway to Paradise, Growing Up Gershwin. And um, I know that you've read this and had we talked a little bit about it, um, but uh, um, it is on Amazon and also it's been made into an Audible book. So I just thought I'd put that out there. Okay, There's would a you lot like more me to do? But I think we'll get to the. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm going to start with that. Okay, good. And yeah, I'd we'll like get to. I'd like you to uh, come on, Debbie Gunther. You are a friend of mine, and we're having a conversation, a chat, and I would love you to um, introduce yourself and welcome to the show. Thanks, Nadia. Um, we always have lots to talk about. It seems. Oh, let's see. Uh, in terms of what I do, I'm a five-element acupuncturist. I work with teens. I've worked with teens all my life, and I've taught writing, and I'm also doing some writing. I belong to a, a memoir writing class. Um, and uh, aside from that, we always find lots of things to talk about. I I am getting ready for this conversation. I'm I have your book in front of me, which I've read twice, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, wow. And, 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 and <laughs> no, but I watched it evolve, which was really fun for me as a writer. And um, I'm really curious about that. I, I, my own experience of writing memoir um, changes me. And I'm, I'm curious about you, how much the writing has changed the way you think about yourself or your life. Well, I, I hear that question um, on two levels. So one, interestingly, um, of all the things that I do or the talents that I may have, writing has always been at the bottom of the barrel, was always the least of all of them. I mm-hmm. always felt awkward writing. And so this was a really huge challenge for me, even though it didn't feel like one. Something just happened and it all came out. But it, I had that insecurity behind it. So this has been really um, wonderful for a healing, I guess, I guess you could say. I feel like something has been cured in my feeling of great insecurity. And so that helped. And going to, um, I was going for my PhD as an older woman, and I had to do a lot of writing, and it just started to come to me. So I think that helped this process. So that's one level. And then the other is that um, although I had like a thread and a coherence to my story before I wrote it, in filling in the holes and the gaps, I was just amazed at the, the story that actually emerged. So it wasn't so different, but certain things got highlighted that I would have never expected. And uh, like my relationship with my mother's best friend, Mabel, um, who uh, was like my Auntie Maine in in my life. And I didn't realize how how important she was until I started writing this book. So that's one example. It's a good example. I I know exactly what you're talking about. I I think from my writing, I understand my relationship with my mother in a way that I never, ever had and, and surprised me. A lot of 
compassion came out, which I hadn't been able to quite tap. And um, huh. so, yeah, I, what you say is really resonates that writing is a way to heal, to heal your story and, um, and the things we say to ourselves about ourselves. And so what I wanted to ask you, when I, when I think about this book, I am so oh, I'm impressed by how courageous you are. And I, mm-hmm. I, I confess I have some envy that you launched into a life that was so different from, from what, who you were when you were young and from the people that raised you. And I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't hear you very well. So it's a little muffled. Oh, okay. So what I was saying was, where did your courage come from? It's so uh, uh, that I uh, that I envy it that, that you were able to leave what you knew and what was familiar and launch into a life that was totally unfamiliar. Did the courage come from? What was it? Was it something that was going on in the culture at the time, or yeah? Okay, so I hear courage on two different levels here. I'm doing a two-level thing again. Um, one was the, the courage to just move out of the, the kind of familial situation that I had or the courage to write the book. So I think it was the first mm-hmm. one, right? Mm-hmm, the, the first one. Um, you know, I honestly don't know where these things come from. I have wondered about that in my journey of just having um, just just curious about who it is to be a human being, I don't know, which is so deep for me. It's a co- continuous question. I don't know where it came from. I don't know whether I was born with a certain propensity and that it pushed me out of the nest of the kind of life I had, um, you know, with a, as some of, I don't know if I should just even mention, you know, because I'm talking to you as a, as a friend, but just coming from a very famous family with lots of geniuses and so on and giving it up and moving out to the wilderness um, with a man who was an artist and, and actually very good one, but um, just, you know, not acceptable from my family's point of view at the time. Uh, I just, there was something in me that just knew what was right for me, and I don't know where that came from, so I can't answer that question. I wondered why, and yet I was such a good girl. So this is the the, the discrepancy that's so weird. I, I don't get it myself. I, well, that's but interesting I, because I, the good girl in me is is envious and admiring that you had the courage, even though you're a good girl, and um. So something was calling you. That's what it feels like in the book and from what yeah. you said. Well, I don't know if you were as desperate as, <laughs> as I was. I was so <laughs> depressed. Ah. Okay, was that's, so depressed. that's part of the answer. Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah, desperate and depressed. Yeah, life did not look good. And where I was coming from, there was no answer. And everyone had the money and the hours of therapy and onward and fame and everything that people think would be helpful. And it didn't help anybody in my family. And it was like, get me out of here. But it wasn't Mm -hmm. a thought. 
it just was what I was attracted to. So that's the part, um, you know, Enrico, my husband, whom I met when I was 26, and the day we met, we had this, you know, incredible conversation about um, he was reading and, and studying Krishnamurti, uh, this Indian teacher who talked about you know, thinking is not reality and uh, choiceless awareness and that sort of thing. And Enrico was trying to explain to me what he was trying to say and how he was working with me. This was the first time I met Enrico. And I looked at this guy and I went, oh, my God, here's somebody who is able to work outside the box. And the box was just the typical therapeutic mind with the stories. And here he was talking about, and this is how I understood it, but I took me a long time to understand it, that life exists outside of thinking. And what does that mean? And so it was, it was a journey. We never left each other. And it was a journey we've been on ever since. And to this day, we still are on this journey, but have moved a long way. So um, it's, it's been interesting to have made that drastic switch when I was 26. I have, uh, and we've talked before that, that I believe that, that our, our souls come here to learn. And, um, yeah. and that when, when we meet certain people, there's a recognition, like a recognition. And that seems really yeah. clear that happened between you and, and Enrico. Um, yeah. A recognition. And, and in a way, between the two of us, you and I, which is yeah. wonderful. Um, yes, it is. Uh, we have a wonderful time <laughs> when we meet yeah. and talk. And, yeah, it's but, very rich. Um, but I, so I, I don't want to be. I, it's, I don't want to be superficial when I say that the story of you and Enrico is a love story. But it really is, and it's a, it's a container in some ways of of the story that you're telling. That you had each other to spin that life out together. Yeah, I, I mean, if he weren't in my life, I, you know, I wonder who I'd be. Um, you know, I just wonder whether I'd, I'd be an alcoholic or something. I just wonder or whether I would have met somebody else on this journey that was similar. I, although I've met lots of people and nobody, you know, is, is compatible and we click and just start thinking. So I... I just don't know who I'd have been if I hadn't met him. And yet I have been able to grow in my own way beside him and differentiate from him and his internal working. So it's been um, a jumping off pad, so to speak, a launching pad. He's been a launching pad for me. And I'm sure it's the ways I am for him. Um, I'm sure. What, what does he say about your book? And about your writing it. Well, I I think he's tickled and very impressed and is amazed at my my authenticity and willingness to be vulnerable. Uh, he's he finds it hard to read some of it because it, it it brings back you know poignant moments and difficult moments. And I mean, we've gone through our difficulties when our kids were teenagers. I was a time when I don't know if we, we, were, we, we would have made it if, um, I, I don't even know if there's an, if we almost didn't make it together and our kids made it harder. 
between us. Um, so then, you know, I, we lost our son and it's very hard for him to, to read those parts. Mm-hmm. Terribly understandably. <laughs> and, and even for, for me, who is not related to you, tremendously painful. And I, I really admire how you, um, you write about it because hmm. you, you provide what I I want to know without um, mm-hmm. you do it so delicately. It's really interesting. Wow. Without too much detail, you just just the right amount, and um, yeah, that's the kind of thing. It's really hard to write about. It's so personal, and and I also feel you protecting your privacy even as you write about it. Huh. It's interesting. Um, there were probably two chapters in the book that were um, the most difficult and the easiest at the same time. And that was writing a chapter about my son and during our flood. And the other one, which is interesting, was during the fire. Uh, mm-hmm. They were both so intense that it wrote itself in a sense. I, I didn't I didn't do it, if you know what I mean. I do, yeah. Did, yeah. The, the beginning of your book, um, you have this foreshadowing of those two huge events um, with, mm-hmm. a, with the ranger who says, do you know what you're doing um, living out here? <laughs> and he talks about yeah. fire and flood. And... Um, and uh, although I knew what happened, but I can feel that that um, chord being struck right from the beginning, um, and it provides a certain kind of um, tension in the book that I think really mm-hmm. works because it plays against some of the the good things and the ease of your life in some ways, and and what you've accomplished, and yet there's this this shadow it's it's very touching and beautiful and because I think most of us walk around with a shadow of some sort um, yeah but this one was 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 illustrated to us or at least verbalized the day we arrived at the at the uh, yeah. gate moving into our wilderness home yeah so, yeah that's almost thing yeah it's almost a biblical you know fire and flood and danger yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been through so, it all. And, and does it out make the other you think side, about, although, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, and we'd come out of it the other side, but then we went through, um, you know, just as I said, things with the teenagers and, you know, difficulty with my um, oldest daughter. Uh, which um, you know we are seeing each other, but it's 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 not easy, and it's been very painful in a way. I've lost a son, and I, in a sense, I've lost a daughter, and then I have another mm-hmm. daughter that I'm very close to. But it's so <laughs> I just you know I look at life and I just shake my head. I just don't get it. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, and and you were. You've been such a marvelous mother. I mean, in the book you write about what a what a thoughtful, creative, um, 
loving parent you are. And in spite of that, you know, that, that our children have their own destinies to work out. And it's nothing to do with what you have or haven't done in some ways, I think. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I have to. It's just I loved being a mother and I, I had all the patience in the world and I also had really good boundaries and lots of fun and really respected my kids and really enjoyed them. What more can you say, right? I mean, my God, you know, if everyone could at least feel that way, you'd think that they would have, you know, adults would grow into these marvelous people. And um, we had drug problems with my son, Andre, and then this other difficulty with my older daughter. And I mean, I adore her. It's just, we just don't see things eye to eye. And I respect that. But, um, you know, if I think about it that way in a linear way, which is, the way the, you know, a book is, it's, it's, it's mind boggling, but I have to, in a sense, although that exists, I have to drop out of that and just move into totally different territory, which is in a way what Enrico and I been working on all these years, if I may even broach the subject, which is the somatic work that, um, mm-hmm. that I've been doing, which what, what you anchors some you. more about that. Well, you know, I've become a therapist and I work with people um, with trauma and I specialize in what I call somatic psychotherapy, which is actually moving outside the story, which is what I was saying a moment ago, moving outside the story and actually being able to feel what, um, find a resource in a in the, mo- in, the, in the present moment, one way or another. So it could be a physical feeling, like feeling your feet on the floor, or it could be an image of someplace that, you know, you know, under a tree or a memory or something like that that is positive for you. And that actually helps your, your neurology, you know, return back to a, a normal or a, a, a better pacing, so to speak, another a better place than the story that, that gives you anxiety um, or depression. So I'm, I'm not saying it very well, but basically working with people to drop below their story into a place that's, um, that's deeper, that's where their, what we call implicit memories are. They're not explicit, so you can't see them as memories and how your body has become patterned to that and try to reorganize mm-hmm. it by resourcing them. I think that was better. Um, so uh, you've been doing this work for a long time and you watch, and you watch people get past their story. Is that part of, part of what you describe the work? Oh yeah. Not only get past their story, but give them tools to work with whenever new stories arise. So it's not just a past thing. It's also a future. So it gives you a, a, a place to work from, which is what I didn't get when I was, you know, a teenager and then getting into school and I studied psychology at college and it was like, really? (laughs) You know, what value is this to read about Freud or Jung or all the other people? They were, they were theorists, you know, there was, there was nothing they offered me that I could grab hold of. It was so weird to put in terms. Yeah, I just want to finish that one sentence. It was just putting terms on, on situations so you could label it, and it didn't give me anything to work with. 
So again, a tool would be, for example, if I'm um, feeling very stressed, I might want to feel, let's say I'm sitting in a chair, I'll feel my bottom on the chair. And just by bringing my attention to something, in this case, physiological, I'm actually stopping the, the story, I'm stopping that neurological pattern from doing its usual thing of going into the trauma or the anxiety or whatever. I actually have a choice to change that, to move it into another place. And once I do that, I'm sort of starting from ground zero. It's a little bit like the craniosacral work, which I also do, where you have a person on the um, massage table and you're holding their feet or their head or whatever you're holding. By them being in a very safe environment and being supported, it allows them to drop into a very uh, safe place. I'm using that word again. Their neurology is actually, their usual pattern of neurology stops and it gives them a chance to recoup, to reset. So that's what I'm offering to people for everyday life, you know, whether they're walking around or sitting or they find some place, like I'm saying, sitting in a chair, going to your bottom and feeling, let's say, the pressure of the chair. It's amazing how it just changes for that moment, but you have to keep doing it. It's so reassuring that the tool is our own body. Yeah. Isn't that cool? You carry it around with you. Yeah. You've got it <laughs> whenever you want. <laughs> but we forget. Maybe it's that they, they, the, the, Cartesian, the Cartesian split between mind and body, which is an illusion, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah, that you, you can access the mind through the body. I, I experienced that in, in acupuncture, that, which fascinates me that somebody can come in for a, a session terribly depressed and I'll put in some needles and their whole spirit lifts and they, they change completely by the time they leave an hour later. So, and that's true yeah. physical also. It's so, so true. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted you to, I was going to ask you about, haven't you found that similarly in acupuncture, uh, and, you know, who knows what's doing what, but just the fact that somebody has put themselves in somebody else's hands that whom they trust, and trust is a very, very, very important concept, or not more than a concept, an experience. Um, the fact that they can do that with somebody they trust is big, and it does something yeah. to allow them to relax in a way they wouldn't normally and allow something to change. With the needles, you've actually given an extra probably zap <laughs> which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah I, it's very similar, too, because at one time I thought, oh, I'd like to be a, um, a therapist. And then I thought, no, I I don't think I want to be a therapist. I don't want to sit there listening to people being unhappy and talking about their story over and over. And um, I, I want to be, I want a tool to, to, to move people out of that. And that's what you're describing about the dance medicine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it would have been interesting if you had come across Peter Levine's somatic experiencing training before you came across acupuncture. I wonder if you had gone into that, whether you would have felt the same way, because I, I would have been very wary also. What do you do with people's stories? I mean, you just listen and say, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not enough. And it's very depressing. Oh. 
But if you know you can give them a tool and help them practice it and help them work with it, it's so exciting. And you see them just lighten up, just hopeful that they can do something for themselves. It's just, I think you would have been a great therapist if you had, you know, done that, gone that route. And I, you're doing what you're wanting to do, which is very important. So it's just interesting. But, but that Peter, Le- Peter Levine's work uh, uh, is sort of a, uh, underlies what you're doing. Is that right? That is correct. When I went to him and I, you know, I had studied psychology. I actually had gotten a master's in dance therapy and I put it aside. I was quite disappointed in my, not in the studying, that was fun, but what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to handle clients and so on. I just let it go. And I raised we came out here and raised a family and so on. And then I heard about Peter Levine and I went to a talk of his and I, I mean, just, I was just sitting on the edge of my seat. It was talking about working somatically, you know, finding a resource in the person physically or, or an image or whatever to help them to their trauma. And I, I maybe, you know, I think he'd say I'm doing it justice and being a little, you know, just getting out of the story, but how he did it. And he's, he's written a few books. They're wonderful. And I just, the moment it was over, I ran up, I said, I want to take your training. He said, sign up with Raja. He was right there. It was happening in a couple of weeks. I went and took the first of the trainings. There were multiple, you know, like four or five a year. And then for three years, the first weekend I went, or it was a long four or five days long. I, they just said, go out and start working with people. They were that, they were that, sure, confident that people heard what they were teaching and they could do it. Basically, you're slowing the person down and resourcing them. That's the most important thing and and helping them feel safe. And when I heard those things, I knew I could work with anybody anywhere. It was the trump card. Oh, I shouldn't use this this word. (laughs) It was a card I needed. (laughs) It was a card (laughs) I needed in my pocket to be able to feel confident that I could work with anybody. All I know is at bottom, that would be the base, the ground. And then from there, I could go anywhere. You know, we could just work together and find out where the person needed to go. You do listen to their story. They want to be heard. It's not that the story isn't important, but you know what to do with it and know where to stop them when they start getting activated. So yeah, you got it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you, you are a, a great listener. I mean, you're, you really listen at a different level. And I, I know that from just having lunch with you and talking and how you don't let me skate on the surface. Like you, you, <laughs> grab, you grab something, you pin me down. What do you mean by that? Or, yeah, you know, you, there's a kind of honesty in you that, that really I love because I, I can get very protected by my social affect. I'm really good at it. But it, yeah. it leaves me it, it leaves me feeling disconnected and lonely. And yeah. I never I never leave you feeling lonely because you listen so well. And um, Thank you. Well I you know, I, I have to say thank you so much. I I, I don't let anything go by if I don't get it a hundred percent. And so maybe that's right. sort of what you're picking up. It's like, what did, what does that mean? What are you feeling when you, you know, I really, really am interested. And, um, and I can't, I, I can't move. It's like when you read um, a paragraph and there's a word you don't know, suddenly your brain just sort of slips by the next few sentences because you've lost it. I can't do that 
with with friends or clients. I'm that way with anybody. It, you know, it's sort of like there's no difference now between who's a friend and who's a client. It's just we're all in this together. And I it's, and, it's, and I think <laughs> the people that you know I resonate with, and you're one of my best best friends, which is uh, wonderful. It is wonderful. I <clears throat> I um. It makes me believe in the possibility of change. If people don't let me get away when I'm I'm slipping by easily, you know. Yeah. Um, yep. And um, and it's such a relief. It makes me think that real healing happens through relationship when people relate in a way that you know how to do. Uh, it was true when I was teaching. I taught high school and junior high school English. And now working with the teens, the same thing, that um, that almost anything can 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 be healed if you feel connected to another human in a really deep way. So you're saying that is right on the mark, and I I just want to um, underscore that by saying that most um, trauma is due to a lack of or bad or negative relationship. So, hello, you know, I mean, just what that's where we have to go to the healing is, is to create a relationship with someone whose nervous system never had a chance to experience it. Because yeah. if you don't as a child, if you don't, if you don't have that as a child, that part of you never develops. And it's not too late because we, we found out how plastic our brain is. If we can do it even as adults, if we can offer that to somebody as an adult, then they are going to grow up a part of themselves that never got a chance to as a child. So you're really hitting it right on the nail there. It's all to do with relationships. Yeah. And, and does it, yeah. can we, can we be simplistic and say it's all about love? But I think it is. Yes. And I would like to just use the word love in a very um, soft, but multidimensional way. Because oh, yeah. to, yeah, just so not quite even know what we mean by that, but it's just having an open heart and a safety and a trusting with somebody to me is very loving. And yes, I would agree with that. I think that's a, yeah, not, maybe that a good, good note to end on. I'm wondering I if agree. we wind it up. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's time, but um, now that we've solved all the problems. <laughs> Oh, dear. Okay, so I think I'm supposed to... Thank you. What wonderful questions. I love it. And I suppose we're supposed to say, um, I'm I'm going to maybe, if you want to give your name again, and if you want anyone who wants to get in touch with you, if you want to give out any information, and then I'll do it after you. Is that okay? Sure. Um, I'm I'm Debbie Gunther, and you can um, reach me on my email, which is debgun, D-E-B-G-U-N, at AOL.com. Okay, and this again is Nadia Natali and the author of Stairway to Paradise, Growing Up Gershwin. And I also have an email, which is my name with a dot. So it's Nadia.Natali at me.com. Or I have a website, NadiaNatali.com. And thank you. Thank you, Debbie. That was lots of fun. Uh, thanks. Always wonderful to talk to you, Nadia.